0: Aquí están tus hijos.
1: Hoy hemos para estar contigo. Welcome to the Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show, outerlimitsradio.com. I'm your host, Ryan. Tonight, we're going to feature an introspective interview and Forensic Soul Analysis, on uh, Mr. Sean Stone. This gentleman is a filmmaker, he's a writer, he's host of an incredible TV program called Buzzsaw. I have to tell you, I think he was very fascinating. And I need to talk to fascinating people just for my own sanity. But if I walk up to an average American and say, hey, what are you into? They're like, I'm into the iTunes and iPhones. And everything is iTunes and iPhones and... I don't know. I'm just saying, why don't we discuss interdimensional travel, you know, the secret governments, you know, getting to higher states of consciousness. I don't. I don't. That's all I want to talk about. Is that a Netflix and chill? So if you're listening to the show, you're probably doing it in part because it's trying to keep you sane. And Mr. Stone has interviewed a lot of interesting people. He asks a lot of great questions. I'm very fascinated and admire his curiosity. And he wrote a book. And his first book was about the New World Order. It's like, obviously he doesn't believe in baby stuff, you know. (laughs) His first book, let's just take on the New World Order. I really admire that. It's very courageous. And I really do think that he's got a lot of talent. And he's going to continue to mature and be, I think, a prominent truth teller and a revealer of truths in our culture. The Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show proudly presents... An introspective interview and Forensic Saw Analysis on Mr. Sean Stone. Joining us now is Mr. Sean Stone, filmmaker, media host. You'll learn more about him by going to his website at Gaia.com forward slash buzzaw. Mr. Stone, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for being with us today.
2: Thank you. It's a pleasure.
1: You've interviewed so many people. What is the driving force behind your curiosity?
2: <laughs> well, I mean, you know, we're, we're put on this planet, um, and we're basically, if you believe in what they've taught you in school, basically you're just you're a monkey on a spinning rock <laughs> somewhere, somewhere. Uh, uh, what is it? Third, third rock from the sun. Um, you know, it's not really clear, as far as I'm concerned, who we are as human you know as, as a human being why we're here our, our, our global purpose as a race and our individual purpose as a human being so I must say I've always just been curious to uh, to understand more about our history and our future both where, where we've been and where we're going
1: from your perspective what do you think the whole nature of reality is we uh, just here on a perpetual reincarnation cycle I'm curious to know what you think <laughs>
2: Uh I believe I believe ultimately I mean, there's many. Obviously, there's many theories, but in my, in in, in terms of me personally, my my belief would be that uh, this is a soul's journey. Uh, it comes through. Uh, basically, the soul comes through a physical body, just the way that uh, if you want to go scuba diving, you got to put on a swims uh, scuba suit. If you want to, if you want to exist in this material physical realm, you have to have a human uh, flesh suit, meat suit, as some people call it. And basically sorry soul takes on uh, different physical vehicles and journeys through its own uh, evolution basically on this planet Uh, I'm not sure that that means necessarily everyone comes from animal to human form but I do believe that we have reincarnation and I do believe that uh, as our soul journeys we have many uh, experiences especially on the emotional spiritual scale that help to uh, tune us and it's like alchemy basically is the alchemists of the past have studied that process refining a product into gold. I think that is the basically both a physical and a spiritual uh, metaphor.
1: Did you ever have any sense of what your past lives might be? Did a psychic medium ever tell you who you were in a past life by chance? (laughs)
2: I've, uh, I've, I mean, I've, I've had glimpses of, of things, but not really from this, Planet necessarily, I have memories of uh, of uh, a place that's more how do you say ziggurats and, and structures that you might see in places like Egypt, but it was more vast. So it makes me think either it was Atlantis or a pre-Atlantean world, perhaps even somewhere else. But I've never really gone to seek out from a past life thing. I mean, I've certainly, uh, I you know, I believe it's it's been many different places. Frankly, everywhere from. Uh, I, I was told actually once one interesting anecdote was I was told uh, that I was part of the uh, Bonhoeffer faction in Germany that was working against Hitler for example in the uh, 30s and Bonhoeffer was ultimately killed as part of being part of that plot I'm not sure if it was the Valkyrie but it was definitely one of the plots to assassinate Hitler so I was told I was working with people like Bonhoeffer and then I you know I've been told about past lives in Japan I've been uh, Past lives and uh, perhaps around the American uh, early years, perhaps the it was the War of 1812. Uh, you know, different uh, different things told to me, but again, not really. If it's not based in my memory, um, I just can say, well, it, it's possible.
1: Are you hopeful for humanity, by chance? I mean, last week they had this big revelation that the CIA, NSA, they're spying on you through your TV, through your phone, through your bathtub, through the eye in the shower. And you would think that this would cause an outcry, but like, people didn't even care. And they just kind of went about their business. And at that moment, I was just like, oh, my goodness. I mean, is humanity worth fighting for? Are these people ever going to wake up? Are you hopeful that people will wake up? Are you just focusing your efforts to satisfy your own curiosity and to basically provide answers for people who are already seeking uh, similar answers comparable to you? You know,
2: it's, it's an interesting... Uh, Issue because I've certainly grappled with it myself. Where I, I ask, what if he met, What if the future never comes? All right, the future that's been promised to us is one of a golden age. Uh, basically, we're returning to, uh, we're returning to that golden time period where, essentially, we'll be less physical, less caught in the Piscean uh, school of, of fish, being basically led, and more into the Aquarian age of uh, carrying. Uh, I think it's, a, it's a more spiritual thing, you're carrying the water, you're basically bearing uh, your own information and, and obviously we see that now with the Internet, with the nature of information being readily available to us and uh, instantly, you know, we have instant libraries of Alexandria at our disposal and yet for years I've been saying, look, the problem is most people don't care. They're just so caught up, they're so uh, easily uh, hypnotized and put into a sleep state that what if the future does not occur? What if we ultimately are just enslaved for the next the next ion? Or I would say at that point, okay, it's not about them waking up, it's about you waking up. each one of us saying, I have to wake up. It's about my journey of, of waking up. That's all that matters. The matrix can can, can persist as long as I'm a, an awakened human being. What difference does it make if they want to play their matrix games as long as I recognize it and play my part within my own awakening? I, you know, you will. I and you will awaken those who are meant to, and those who are not. Uh, they may end up being split off in some form. If this, you know, if, if this time period arrives, basically they'll split off. There might be a, a splitting of humanity into different levels of consciousness. And all that matters is your own personal journey and where you're going.
1: Yeah, it's pretty interesting you say that because my old great teacher, Mister Stuart Wilde, said that there was going to be. A split in human evolution. There was going to be part of humanity that was going to be evolving to these higher planes of greater freedom, and there were going to be humanity that was basically going to be going down this path of tyranny. In your life, as you've progressed, as you've been more curious, asked more questions, have you observed that you've affected people around you? That you've noticed that people around you are asking more questions than they once did? Well,
2: it's not. I don't know that it's necessarily from my influence. The you know the interesting thing is I I hear this a lot. I will basically uh, talk to people, and talk to them or expose them to certain ideas, and they'll look at me like I'm nuts. And then years will go by (laughs) as I get older, (laughs) and then you know they'll come back to me and say, "Man, you were talking about this years ago, or you predicted this, (laughs) or now I understand what you're saying." And it's just like it's very funny to me. I'm like. Okay, so you were basically asleep, and now you're starting to wake up, and so now the things that I say don't sound so outrageous or <laughs> weird.
1: <laughs>
2: uh, also so the, I've seen that.
1: <laughs> you know, there's this always this is constant theme, I guess, in America. It's called the generational divide, where you know you have one generation that's completely against another generation. The, the younger generation and odds with the older generation. I know that uh, my parents were kind of, I guess, they rebelled against their parents, but I'm, I'm curious. Have you had that at all? Um, Have you been at odds with um, with your parents about the way the world is? And I'm just curious if you think that the millennial generation is necessarily at at odds with the way uh, the parents' generations is. And I bring that to your attention because I'm always wondering if the millennials were more aware of the freedoms that are being taken away, if they were more aware of what was actually happening, and they decided to rebel against that, then you'd actually have maybe an authentic. Push towards a freedom type movement but they I think they seem to be um, you know enjoying the same types of complacency as their parents did not of being aware of what's going on with their freedoms so and I guess the ultimate question I'm asking is have you ever had that rebellion have you had that re- generational divide rebellion against your parents um, based on what they believe and what you believe Well, I just find that I find that I'm,
2: a, I'm just more interested by the metaphysical realm okay and sense, than the material one Um, and I think that it's interesting you pose about the millennials, because to me, the millennials are not as concerned about privacy because, uh, they've surrendered it themselves, right? I mean, well, I'm a millennial too. So the point is that we come to recognize that everything is being, there's, there's a consciousness, there's an awareness of everything we do regardless. You know, you walk down the street, you have, we have surveillance cameras. We have our phone with us at all times. You can GPS track us. Um, we're sending off emails, texts, we're sending selfies. The point is that we're exposing ourselves, so we don't have a hang-up around privacy the same way that past generations might have. On the other hand, I think that if we actually want to overthrow this tyranny of government, I think the problem, it's a misdirection, uh, the energy is, is misdirected against government. Government is basically just a corporation, it's, it's, a, it's bought and paid for by the mega corporations. The real rejection should come at the level of boycotting the major corporations. I mean, that's, that's to me, the, the problem right there. You have these ma- these mega transnational corporations and mega banks, international banks that have way too much power and influence, and if we chose to basically boycott the me- the mega corporations and stop, you, you know, basically start to, or not even necessarily a boycott, but just try to expand the creative power of our generation and, and the ones coming up by supporting smaller Smaller businesses, you know, alternate corporations. I mean, the fact that we only have, you know, basically two brands of computer that we have. You know, people, everyone has to. If you don't have an iPhone, people look at you funny. I mean, that's the conformity right there. That you snap, you know, that's the problem right there, right? When people look at, you know, if like, you don't have an iPhone, like you have six heads or something. That's the conformity we have to break. Is the corporate conformity because, you know, at the end of the day, Apple. Is much more uh, invasive in a sense than, than um, the government. I mean, Google is more invasive. All these things, or at least have the, the power. to be more invasive, and we're trusting these private corporations. When I think the private corporations, at, at the end of the day, are you know, are very, can be can be very nefarious and dangerous, uh, even more so than the government. Any big power structure, you know, obviously, um, can get away with a lot, a lot that you know the no, no ordinary person can't. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just it's an interesting issue of ultimately, do we have to spiritualize the war? And I, as I believe, you know, spiritualize it and go towards that, you know, finding your spiritual uh, root and your your metaphysical beliefs, because we know that we're only here for a fixed period of physical time, and it's a very, you know, it's a tough realm to operate in. Most it's hard, and you know, it's hard to be here in physical form. It's not easy to be human and it is an, at the end of the day, it's a losing battle. We all end up in the same place, you know, six feet under. So to me, it's like the spiritual journey is what's so much more rewarding.
1: Do you think it's harder to be here being aware and being awake than it is to actually be here and being asleep? Because it seems that if you're, if you're asleep, everything's fine. Everything's wonderful, everything's good. And you know, the about it. but if you're awake and you see what's going on, it's kind of like, oh my God. Do you find that challenge, you think it's more difficult?
2: Yeah, I mean that whole nonsense about ignorance is bliss. I don't ascribe to that belief because you can say it's wonderful until you get hit by a train because yeah. you weren't looking. Um, whereas the guy who's like watching for these things says, "Look, there's a train there. There's a cliff there. You know, there's someone coming along to fleece you." And you're, you're walking around bl- ignorant, you're still going to get nailed <laughs> sooner or later, right? <laughs> so I don't think I don't think you know being ignorant is any more blissful than being aware. On the other hand, it, you can be over-aware. You can be you can definitely be paranoid. And that's why I say, like, I just, I believe in the spiritual realm because that's that's what gives me the ultimate feeling of bliss and contentment is coming from the spiritual, not from the physical. The more I can be in a place of faith and trust that there's a higher power and destiny guiding things, then I can feel good. If, if that destiny, if that's all my imagination, if there is no destiny, if there is no higher power guiding it, if it's really just, you know, God is a great demon who is basically having fun, and <laughs> cooking, having fun pricking us. Right? I mean, if you think about it, that would be the true, the true nature of a demon. God would just say, "Look, worship me. I'm all benevolent, all loving, and meanwhile, I'm going to roast you guys. But hey, I'm doing it for your benefit. I mean, that really would be like the truth of a demon, right? Yeah. So. If, if that's the reality, then we're really in trouble. <laughs> you
1: know, it's really interesting you brought that up. We interviewed a gentleman named George Kovacilis, who talked about this idea of there being a quote-unquote false god, called it why, actually, and said that there was this god, or this being, uh, benevolent being, that was parading itself to being god, and it was focusing, all, channeling all of humanity that was thinking of god outside of itself, and that's how it was empowering itself. And said so the real god, the real divinity is, is beyond that. The real god is just like, you know, if you want to quote-unquote think about it, it's pure unconditional love, and it's who we are. Um, it it is God within and not God without and um, I'm curious when your belief patterns what have you come to realize or come to know or believe as far as your spiritual progression and journey do you believe that you're from a different place you believe you're here from a limited time have you ever had any contacts uh, with any spirit guides or any relatives who passed that have kind of guided you or inspired you no only when I do ayahuasca (laughs) (laughs) Really, that's that's interesting. Yeah. I've, um, I've
2: done that too. And um, what was your experience like? To my best. Oh, I mean, I had blissful experiences on ayahuasca. That's when everything becomes clear, and mm. the journey is just seem, like the journey just seems so worth it. And then you know you come back into this physical realm, and it's like, okay, I gotta brush my teeth, I gotta put my shoes on, <laughs> I gotta walk to the store. You know, I gotta, <laughs> it's like it's like mundane things, right? Get in the car, go you to this appointment. And you're just like, oh man, I just want to be flying.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and um, cause some people that have never done that. I've done it, uh, done it before, and I'd I say it was a, a beautiful, amazing experience, something completely unique. Where it's, I think, once you do it and you experience it, you know that there's more to life than this reality. What What are some of the lessons that you garnered from your experiences on ayahuasca?
2: Yeah, I mean, I didn't really feel like it was lessons. It was more. I just got. Or the, I would say, you know, one thing I could impart would be that, you know, I never, I would say ayahuasca is very much um, a question of where your mind goes, right? It's all about you and your focus and your attention. Um, People who, you know, when you're, when you're into, when you're entering ayahuasca, you can enter very quickly into the demon realm. Uh, Very, you know, very dark imagery, uh, scary, you know, scary creatures, um, things that can be very horrifying to to approach. If you keep your focus on that, you'll start puking, you'll start going into a nightmare essentially. But I always um, just breathed through it and moved and ascended basically very quickly, like okay, we don't have to stay here. We don't have to focus your attention here. You it's like it's like in life, it's like at the end of the day it's like I can be aware that right? there's ritual sacrifice and ritual abuse and um, you know all kinds of satanic murder that takes place and just, you know, all this nefarious stuff. But if I keep my focus there, that's where my, my reality becomes that. I, I I like to shift out of it. I, okay, I become aware of it. Yes, there is this reality, but let's focus. Let's let's shift to a to a problem solving issue. Let's shift to a more you know a more cheerful, blissful place. Let's try to you know keep our attention always ascending. I believe up towards towards the light. You know, if you can't fix a problem, don't sit there and just stare at it, or or let yourself be traumatized and frightened by it.
1: So and. An my understanding is that when you were since you were very young, you were writing a lot, you were always producing or expressing some form of creativity. Was there ever a point where you, you knew was there ever a point in your in your life that you knew you were different, that you knew that you were thinking differently than most people? And did you ever feel pressure to conform in order to I guess to fit in because of your, because you were unique? <laughs> I think everyone
2: is unique. I just think that not everyone embraces it. That's the thing. At the end of the day, it's like I, I was—I was not afraid to be different, and I think that's really what it boils down to. Is many people are afraid of being different, right? Mm-hmm. They, um, you know, you go to school, and it's like if you think different thoughts or if you ask questions, you're kind of you can you can feel a little bit awkward or out you know, an outsider. You can if you're studying too much or focusing too much on reading and learning, you can be a nerd, right? Well, I, you know, I, I embraced that, you know, I embraced being whatever, you know, a nerd, I embraced being myself, you know, I didn't really care so much about the perception of me. And I think that's a really key critical thing for young people to understand is that they want you to conform from basically the whole nature of putting people in a school in the first place. It's like, you know, you're supposed to just conform to whatever the, you know, whatever the class is like and the people in that class and the teacher's expectations. They want you to conform to all these things, but you don't have to. It's your choice whether or not you want to, if you want to, you know, if you want to be a creative person, you want to be an artist or you want to be, you know, everyone I believe is creative, frankly. I just think that we don't, we don't learn to tap into our creativity. Even if you come home and paint at night, if you come home and play music, if you come home and write a poem or sing sing a song, it's like all these things are great expressions of the creative self. We have to tap into that because the more we tap into our creativity, the more we are actually like authenticating our being and really, and really tapping into our soul and actually expressing that which is individual and unique to each one of us. So that was really what it was about was just me allowing myself to say, okay, I I love writing. I love poetry. I love these things. I'm not going to be uh, shamed about, ashamed about it or, or frightened away from doing these things because that's what I think happens to other people. They just get frozen up
1: in the ways you've expressed yourself is there any particular creative expression that you've engaged in that you felt really fulfilled in that you felt that you were totally in alignment to what your sole purpose was What would you say would be the most fulfilling expression of what would be the most fulfilling expression of creative expression in your life thus far
2: well this far I've been writing scripts because mean, you know, I've only gotten to direct one film that I uh, that I actually created and lived, but that because that was a lived experience, it wasn't necessarily the most fulfilling because it was more of like getting something out that was very uh, personal to my, you know, to having gone to the this mental hospital in Jersey and not active it was a haunted, abandoned mental hospital. But having gone ghost hunting, I had to express that. But so for me, the most important uh, expressions thus far have been the scripts that I've written that I have not yet made, but you know, God
1: willing, one day. is and. Who would you say have been some of the most influential teachers in your life that have really challenged you to become a better person and also um, challenged or you know inspired your creativity?
2: That's well, interesting. I mean, I don't find that teachers necessarily inspired my creativity. Mm. Um, oftentimes, uh, teachers dull your creativity. <laughs> <laughs> But no i mean I, I I take it away i I've had so many obviously you know people around me from my father forward who've you know helped and in, inspire and uh, teach me things and I've learned so much along the journey i don't I don't think it's it's any how do you say like every everyone everyone I appreciate in terms of what they've offered um, whether it be from a from an intellectual perspective from a physical fitness perspective from a um, you know, again, like from philosophical perspective, inspiring and enlightening the books the great you know, for me it's like it's such a pleasure to read books because you get these wonderful conversations and wits and wisdoms from people that are no longer here, but you go back and you can you can seek them out in the past. They're all you know, they have these wonderful insights to offer us. So yeah, I think I think there's a real treasure in books and I hope people don't forget about that with all the internet the Kindles. (laughs) <laughs> it's a very different experience. Reading a, reading on a screen, you get distracted, I think, more readily than when you pick up a book and just start engaging with the past.
1: I couldn't agree with you more. I I don't ever – I somebody got me a I said, no, I want the hard copy of the book I love having the books. Are there any books that you'd recommend to people, that books, books that you found them particularly enjoyable that are really kind of like, you know, you know piqued your curiosity? It doesn't that well, to about anything
2: piqued my curiosity. Yeah. I, I mean, okay. Okay. I think Holy shit. you know oh, the thing. The, well, I would I would suggest everyone should read Plato. You know, they should, everyone should, like everyone should should be familiar with Shakespeare. Everyone should be familiar with Plato. Great great dialogue in that. But essentially, uh, you know, people should should I should be aware of my show Buzzsaw, hmm. which is on YouTube as well as on Gaia. I mean, the old episodes are on YouTube. The new episodes are now on Gaia. But essentially, uh, Buzzsaw has a collection of interviews with people, many of whose books I've read and encouraged people to read. That's really why I did Buzzsaw. It was, in, ex- in a s- sense, it was an expression of my own reading, and like all these books I'd read on, uh, you know, again, like esoteric things, extraterrestrial, uh, supernatural, Illuminati, you name it, global power structures, conspiracy. I was reading all these books. and It was, you know, it was cool to then do a show like Buzzsaw, where I got to interview a lot of the authors that I had read over the years. So, that's why I would encourage people to watch Buzzsaw and check it out because then they can find those books there and obviously see these interviews with the authors that's and you, uh, you know hopefully you know, that'll inspire them.
1: Incredible. Some of the people you've had, we've had on our show, especially you did the show about, with Jim Rogers about the future of the global economy, Do you, is, that, is that something that worries you at all? Do you think that, uh, you know, we've talked a lot on our show about the potential collapse of the economy, if that's going to be something that's either going to cause a great awakening or basically be the, the, the final blow for humanity. That pushes them to a total totalitarian state. I'm curious, what do you think about that? Do you think that which way do you think that that direction could go if if that event does happen? If we do have a big collapse,
3: well,
2: I mean, as much as Alex Jones has talked about martial law coming, I don't see anyone who's better positioned to create a martial law scenario than Donald Trump. (laughs) (laughs) But you know, that said, uh, there'll be—I think there'll be some kind of reset there's just too much of this pile on of derivatives and uh yeah I mean we know look we've just seen it it's you know the rich throughout history the rich are getting richer the poor are getting poorer the middle class is getting squeezed out but i i think that there's a way of you know reversing that i did a documentary called the century of war that came out on rt last year it's online now and people can watch it but in that documentary we talk about how at the end of the day the military industrial complex which has been such a beneficiary of the us um Dollar, the strength of the dollar. Basically, we've been, you know, we've been using our money to facilitate the military-industrial complex and the surveillance state. On top of it, I'm saying, well, we, why don't we reverse that into a life economy? Why don't we, you know, utilize? Uh, why don't we go from building tanks to building high-speed rail systems across the country? Why don't we use the drones for, you know, for peaceful, uh, for, for peaceful uh, uh, shipping purposes? Why don't we, you know, con- con- convert you know, essentially? Um, our weapons industry into cleaning up pollution, <laughs> you know things that actually would be still beneficial for mankind.
1: Yeah, I mean, you just you know, you've covered this and you've interviewed those people. Is there is there anything that you can garner as to why the, this click doesn't happen? Do you think that it's because people are too preoccupied with their iPhones and iTunes and you know they just they don't they don't want to engage this because it seems completely logical to me and also. Why wouldn't we want to devote all of our resources to exploring space? I love watching Neil uh, deGrasse Tyson exploring yeah. space and the universe. And I'm like, this is so cool. Why don't we devote our energy to this? and Or exploring the Earth? I mean, I I don't know. I, is there any reason that you can think of that see as to why we haven't logically taken this step? Or why this we have this preoccupation with war and death and repressing other people?
2: Sure. Because there are some demons that are in charge at the moment. And the demons need to be fed, um, but at the you know at the end of the day, it's like yeah, it's, it's easier to control the population through war. If your population is it has a look, if you have a, a rising standard of living, you have a rising uh, you know economy, a peacetime economy, for example. People are living in you know in happier conditions and not in under fear and stress from a foreign attack. I mean, come on, how much? How much do we play up these stupid ideas of terrorism? At the end yeah. of the day, you're more likely to get hit by a bus, hit by a bus, or frankly, you're more likely to win the lotto than get killed by a terrorist. So how, why is it they were playing? They play up this this fear so much because I believe there's an energy war that there's very dark beings in charge that basically have to be fed. They 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 come. They basically are attached to the the rulers, the sociopaths, and you know the higher ups, and. Um, these these beings like feeding on our fear, on our dark you know, our lower emotional states. And so they keep us in that state perpetually as much as possible, dumbed down, ignorant, unable to take power into our own hands and assert our own sovereignty and assert our own authority. The government is supposed to be of the people, by the people, for the people. So that means by the people, you know, we are the government, not the government is some federal, you know, corporation that basically has ownership over life and it is, you know, subverts and usurps powers that are beyond its means or it's beyond its measure. Um, it's, just, it's just, it's a really messed up system, and I mean, it's, it's obvious to those who look at it at the same time reforming it. It's like trying to, you know, basically, uh, I don't know, take out like some, you know, some downed beast. It's like a giant beast that you're trying to move, you know, with a, with your bare hands, or like trying to build the pyramids. That's what it is. It's like trying to build the pyramids with your. It's good luck. You need a little bit of, uh, you know, higher higher vibrational frequency to move move those blocks. You're not going to do it with your bare hands. and mm-hmm. Slaves.
1: John, you're describing the um, the demon lords. Are you referring to the, the I guess the Akrons or the ancient aliens that some people would say that have been around here? That or do you think that these uh, demonic beings? Are earthbound entities that have been here long before humanity. Or I'm just curious, like have you ever gotten a visual description of what these beings could be? These dark beings that require the, the constant fear to thrive.
2: Well, there's a lot, of things, you know, the Draconian things. um I, you know, at the end of the day, there's, you know, I don't, I don't know personally what we're talking about. Many beings. I've heard mantid aliens. I've heard, you know, there's uh, the Grays. There's a lot of alien species. What I'm simply saying is, I believe yes, there is an arconic power structure that does require feeding. Now, and I do believe that the, the dark ones can also rise if they choose, if they want to, if they really want to rise.
1: What do you mean, like rise? Everyone, like
2: like rise. You can rise your vibrate. You can raise your vibrational okay. structure. You don't have lower level feeder. You can raise your vibrational structure and become, you know, be- they- it truly requires a, uh, a shift in frequency. I think that's also what humans have to do too. We have to realize that we have to raise our frequency, or they will rise with us. But we have to raise our frequency. That's our job because we don't know. We can't see these beings, so it's not really. At the end of the day, it's like we can't sit there and just try to focus on them. We have to focus on ourselves. We have to raise our own vibration, and that has to be through 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 certain like through food, clean food, um, through love, through through prayer and, and faith, and like you know, basically coming from a higher place of emotion. That's how we. As we rise, the, the the fallen ones will fall away. They, they're they're too low level. They can't attach to you. You know something that's 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 designed for a low frequency and the parasitic thing can't can't stay attached to some someone that's vibrating at a very high place, a very you know high state of mind and being.
1: Do you find that your curiosity, your natural curiosity, and your passion, your drive, is something that has probably protected you from uh, an onslaught of some of the um, you know attacks that have maybe come upon people who are challenging the the establishment who are challenging the social norm do you find that um you you know your your curiosity is helping you and um your vibe is raising your vibration protecting you
2: yeah curiosity certainly i think is a is a big thing but also just coming from a place of heart you know coming from a place of of compassion and respect and empathy and love um you know a lot of people who are doing work in these fields they they fixated and caught in their, in their perception. And that can oftentimes lead to anger, frustration, paranoia, right? As opposed to being open-minded and willing to empathize and love your enemy and understand that, again, this is just the mortal coil. It will fall away soon enough. So when you have real faith, you're not throw places to feel like you're flying. I mean, that's the natural state of a human is, it's actually to be in a place of, uh, of love and care and and joy. And I think the problem is we just get beaten down and berated since we're young. Basic place of like a high consciousness, high frequency. And then as a result of being berated and beaten down, so many people shift to looking for it through, or sometimes, but, you know, good foods. And um, and I would say that, you know, it's really about the fact that we have to overcome these it's really, it's like it's, it's humans that are that are hurting humans. It's our parents, it's our family, it's our friends—the ones who are like weighing us down since we're young. Um, when in fact we should be encouraging, inspiring, and loving each other. It's like there should be unconditional love on this planet. I just—it shocks me that we have such a problem with with sharing, you know, with sharing that love and friendship and companionship and offering through empathy um, a curiosity to understand other people more. Like, why are we so afraid of other people?
1: I don't know, I, and I couldn't agree with you more. It, just, it seems like there's this weird, weird thing going on, and I always wonder, um, if you, the last five question I have for you, Mr. Stone, is you see the way that the dark is moving, if put unquote" dark, that they, they've got everything. They, they monitor your phones. They they, they they basically put people in these states of disempowerment. I remember reading an article. I loved it. It was called The Crisis of Now, where people are constantly put in this fear-based uh, situation, and they can't stop uh, being afraid. And... Is there anything that you would recommend that you think would have to happen in order for people to reverse engineer that or to actually be on a path that's going to go in the opposite consciousness? How do people go in the opposite consciousness of that?
2: Well, I think the ways I was just explaining, um, that's key. And again, I was getting to this point of being curious and open-minded. Especially now, I mean, this, this new uh, documentary from Adam Curtis was interesting, Hypernormalization. Whole point is that we're we're basically looking out in the hall of mirrors and we're seeing reflected back to us the reality that we want to see, right? We go online, we we go to certain, brands, like, you know, I like this news source I like that, I like that site. I'm seeing the thought reflect my own thought patterns. It's like it, it it's predicated in curiosity, and no and anything, I know nothing. That's the truest thing we can say. I don't know. I believe I could. I try, I make statements, but it doesn't mean that I know. I'm simply, uh, you know, I'm simply a human who's who has who, who's here for for a very fixed period of time, with ideas that I have no idea where they originated from, um, with feelings that I, you know, I can't come from either. It's like a, there's a, there's a how do you say there's a a, a non physical component right to our feeling body and our emotional state. Because most of reality is non-physical, most of reality is not verbal, visual, or real than the physical one, or at least more pre- more present in our consciousness and our reality.
1: Mr. Sean Stone, filmmaker, beautiful personality. I want to thank you. It was such a it was a great pleasure to speak with you. I really enjoyed uh, listening to your insight. I thought you really are you're sharp, and you got a lot of curiosity. and We can learn more about Mr. Stone by going to his website at Gaia.com forward slash Buzzsaw. Please check out the Buzzsaw shows. I mean, there are so many um, great episodes. I think you have about 240 different episodes, and you really explore a lot of these topics with um, unstable curiosity. And, and, and I think you're doing a great work. Sean, uh, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for, for Joining us now is the Queen of the Universe, internationally respected psychic medium, Miss Carrie O'Connor. You can learn more about this Carrie O'Connor. Get a reading done with this Carrie O'Connor by going to her website at CarrieOConnor.com. Miss O'Connor, what can you tell us about Mr. Sean Stone? First of all, there's a few people that come in, Ryan, that I see
4: are totally connected to their heart. Let's just say most people, though, when they're born into the physical experience, we zip up in our, our flesh suits, um, as he referred them to. And we get caught in our mind and emotion. He is a direct line to his heart. And whenever I see that gold heart, I mean, he came in here with a purpose. He has one of those it, lifetimes and lifetimes of being born into when the earth was going through great times of change. I'm not surprised people picked up on Lemurian times or Atlantean times with him. I saw him as a sound healer using Didgeridoo, that uh, a tool, a, a musical thing from Australia. That really helps us to get into d- between dimensions. I'm not surprised he did ayahuasca, because he, he came in here with his his view is way beyond the viewfinder that most people are born into in the matrix. We go in the people that are stuck in the matrix. It looks like they have this viewfinder over their eyes that lock us into ego mind and emotion. He came in with an expanded viewfinder since the moment he was born. Or sometimes I'll see a symbol of people that were born in with two left feet so I know that they're going to be different they're going to feel different their whole life and so the paradox is sometimes it can be difficult for people and they feel like they're the odd man out because their signature is different they come in with in a higher vibration but he gets the backing up where he was encouraged to um, explore his creativity which allowed him to um, do what he's doing right now amazing catch
1: what do you think is the most significant past life that he's had
4: the most profound is, and he even referred to this, of not this plane, of not this Earth plane. And I understand what he's talking about. He had lifetimes in this that was connected to the star, Syrian star, right? The Syrian lifetimes. And that's uh, those lifetimes in particular, they could be compared to the Lantian, and Lemurian times um, on this physical plane. But the Syrian planet or star system is known to producing people that has a lot of mastery. Like they said, Jesus, Buddha comes from the Syrian energy. And the, the people that literally come down to the physical form with a absolute purpose, and their purpose is to wake up humanity. So that Syrian lifetime, he is really connected to it. He draws from it in his work, in his films, and in his writing. And it's, it's all over his energy signal. When I see um, stars around somebody, and especially if they're these blue stars that have this certain holographics, I know that their, their major thing is the Syrian influence.
1: Okay. As far as him and his father goes, how do they kind of inspire each other and work with each other on an etheric plane? They,
4: when I tapped into that energy, I heard sons born of kings. And then I just saw all these like video clips where I'm going through their energetic history stored within both of their energy fields. I've found, seen both of them where, uh, one time Sean was the son, the, the father, um, Oliver was the son. So they kept on switching those roles, right? So they really have a heart based where they are connected to being the system breakers, right? And they, they coach you lifetimes and lifetimes of reminding other people to go beyond the norm, break out of um, the rules, be a nonconformist, that kind of thing. Follow your creativity, which brings you to your heart, which brings you to your own creator, creator energy, which is on the inside of you and not on the outside of you. So they've, they've done that many, many times. I even saw a lifetime within Sean that was very much compared to the Buddha, when Oliver was his father and he was uh, raised in wealth and secluded from all the leprosy and everything outside the camp and Sean of course explored out, went outside and he was blown away by what was out there It's like again it was like a Buddha experience not saying he was Buddha but it was something very very similar, he was a prince, his father was a king, so they've done many many lifetimes together where they are again reminding each other to Tap into your own creative creative energy, which leads you to 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 think outside the um the realm. You're not got caught into the matrix. Literally, their energy gives them keys for people to get outside of the matrix. Right? So, Follow your own heart. Uh, when he talks about raising your vibration, all of that, it's he's giving people information how to get out of the matrix. Okay. And that's what the father and son do.
1: Miss Carrie O'Connor, Queen of the Universe and internationally respected psychic medium. Thank you so much for your phenomenal analysis on Mr. Sean Stone. To learn more about Miss Carrie O'Connor and to get a reading done with Miss Carrie O'Connor, please go to our website at carrieoconnor.com. Thank you so much, Miss O'Connor. Thank you, Ryan. It's always my pleasure. Joining us now is the astrophenom, our astrologer, Miss Constance To learn more about Miss Constance and get your own chart done with Ms. Constance Ellis by going to our website at com. Miss Dellas, what can you tell us about Mr. Sean Stone?
3: Okay, so 33-year-old Sean, son of Oliver Stone, has um, many things in common with his father's chart, and uh, of course he has his own path to travel. Um, he is a Capricorn, an Earth sign, and his father, Oliver, is a Virgo. And um, Capricorn is probably, not probably, is a much stronger, willed, determined sign than Virgo. Obviously, Oliver Stone is no slouch in the uh, willpower department, but uh, in comparing the two charts, I think that uh, Sean has very much his own contribution to make to um whatever artistic endeavor he chooses and he has a lot of latitude um uh, his father is very focused and driven to tell certain kinds of stories with intensity uh sean has a more um fluid uh approach and his personal uh struggles in terms of uniting parts of his personality because he has sun in capricorn and moon in aries and it's it's a a little bit of a uh problematic combo there because capricorn is slow methodical and climbs that mountain and aries says what it's not finished come on <laughs> you know so it's a little bit uh, like having the brakes on your energy and his impetuosity and fire is very, very uh, much part of his creative package. Um, and his father has some uh, fire also, but not as much as Sean. And so it's going to take a while, maybe like a late bloomer type of situation, for him to find his niche and feel like he's firing on, on all cylinders. Uh, he's very musical. And he has um, a way with words, uh, also um, um, painting or visual arts as well. So I I think the other thing that's very lucky between father and son is that um, they, the father, can really um, not more than do favors, um, mentor and help get him. Um, to the right people who are going to help him out in whatever field he chooses. So, I mean, there's a couple of possibilities here. It's not only the arts, but I I think it will be predominantly um, in the arts. And um, the stress of having such a well-known parent is a thing. I mean, it's, it's, it's not the easiest thing in the world, but that stress is quite minimized between their two charts. They may not always be best buddies, but... They have a lot to offer each other okay
1: and the last question i have for you miss thomas is mm. is there anything in the chart of oliver stone and sean stone that you found particularly striking or unusual or just kind of peeked out in your mind
3: um what i just said the 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 extent to which the father is a creative mentor as well as a father because the there's a part in astrology called the part of fortune, and it comes to us through the Arabian astrologers from way back when, and this part of fortune in Sean's chart is in Virgo, close to the degree of his father's uh, sun sign, and um, very much showing up in the in the, uh, the parental houses of the, uh, of the chart. So um, it's not always the case that a famous father gets to help um, a, a child. In fact, there can be big dramas. Um, but this is not the situation between um, Oliver and Sean. I mean, they may have their ups and downs, but it will, it will, uh, it will calm and be very productive for both of them.
1: Excellent. Ms. Constance Tellus, the astrophenal, I want to thank you for your really riveting and in-depth analysis. And to learn more about Ms. Constance Stelis and get a reading done with Ms. Constance Stelis, please go to our website at ConstanceStelis.com. Ms. Stelis,
3: okay. You. You're welcome. My pleasure.
1: Joining us now is the clairvoyant cowgirl and internationally respected psychic empath Ms. Lisa Kaza. We can learn more about Ms. Lisa Kaza and get a reading with Ms. Lisa Kaza by going to her website at com. Ms. Kaza, what can you tell us about the energy field of Mr. Sean Stone?
0: Well, the first thing, I, I was actually um, rather surprised, and I don't know why, but I was, that he's very, very similar to his dad. So? Uh, well, it's just... He has, you know, a somewhat similar energy in terms of, you know, what he's doing here on this earth. Um, you know, they they're, they have a shared, um, I guess you want to say, a goal, um, which is if uh, folks may remember when we had done the interview or not interview, but the show for Oliver Stone, his father, you know, I had revealed that you know he's a very strong truth seeker and revealer and quite the strong activist for creating awareness. And Sean is exactly the same, um, with the exception of um, his spirituality. And, but the thing is, the level of his spirituality is highly advanced, but that's because of his origin, um, you know, spiritually speaking. And that, that's basically the only difference between him and his dad.
1: What, are they, they're from different places?
0: Yeah, yeah, Um, because I wasn't reading on his dad this time, uh, and I don't think I did it last time either. I'm not quite sure where Oliver Stone, where his spirit has come from, but it is a very strong, strong energy around and within Sean that he's a very definite star person. Um, uh, Like I'm wanting to say uh, that um, coming from like Sirius or the um, Pleiades, But there's a very specific uh, phrase that I hear in my head and um, it's, you know, Doreen Virtue actually did a lot of research on the different realms of existence and she placed a lot of emphasis on star people and the different um, star systems that they came from and the different types or roles of star persons. And when I look into Sean's eyes, because I have seen, you know, pictures of him in his eyes, tell the story of being that of a, what both Doreen Virtue and myself consider as being a galactic knight. Um, those were um, the star persons. Um, they were the protectors of the truth and of the earth, but they were also the peacekeepers and facilitators um, for for us on this earth. And so with that being said, Sean, like, I did listen to some of his his interview, and I found it very interesting, like, he had touched upon um, Atlantis. He's actually somewhat on the right track, but just a little bit um, off the beaten path a bit. Um, With him having, you know, coming from the Pleiades uh, Sirius, it's one of the two, I can't decipher which, um, he didn't live in Atlantis, but he definitely visited Atlantis quite frequently. And he came, you know, as as that warrior, the, the protector and the facilitator, the helper kind of thing, even back then. And quite interesting, too, I have to say that Sirius, I'm, I'm actually more inclined to say Sirius, actually, so I'm going to stick to Sirius, but uh, Sirius has very strong ties to Egypt as well. And so, you know, when I delve into, you know, trying to delve into his past lives, um, after... So many, um, I'm being told he had like two or three lifetimes as being just a pure star person, um, you know, being like the go between kind of thing between this, the, the galaxies and, you know, the humans on Earth. But then he ultimately was, uh, I'm hearing the word chosen to come live on Earth. And his very first lifetime was, was in Egypt. And I, I don't know what he, all I hear is the word laborer. But, um, so I'm not seeing too, too much in terms of um, specifics. But the one thing that I do get hit with is that each lifetime that he's had, it's like he he had this knack for being in the wrong place at the wrong time or the right place at the right time, Depends on how you want to look at it, I, I suppose, <laughs> you know. But it's like, um, you know, the one in Egypt, uh, I hear the word saw too much. You know, so like too much conspiracy or, you know, lies and things of that nature. And then, um, so that was his first lifetime. And then there was another lifetime, um, like there's very strong French ties uh, with Sean, actually his father, too, by the way. Um, but the, so another lifetime, I believe it's very strongly the French court. He's just a member of the French court. Again, and so I'm like, oh, damn, here we go again. I, you know, wrong place, wrong time. Why do I need to see this crap? Oh,
1: my goodness. <laughs> you know, it's kind like, of like, you know, yeah. maybe you should choose a life incarnation where it's like, I want to go on the beach planet, but now, yeah. oh, I'm, now I'm on Earth. <laughs> I
0: mean, yeah, but, you structure. know, every time, like, yeah, but the thing is, it's a building up, though. It, it, all this was intended. Like, even, like, um, I'm even, even hearing the words, like, in another lifetime, um, there is some kind of Indication here, um, I'm going to have to say, like, the American Civil War. He was a soldier. Um, I'm hearing the term eavesdropper to the truth, and it's like, for Pete's sake, like, here we go again, like, oh, my God, you know? know? Every lifetime, he's like, he's... He's there, like, overhearing things or seeing things <laughs> that he doesn't want to see. And he doesn't know what the hell to do with it, you know, and he keeps his mouth shut. You know, so he just do, turns a blind eye.
1: i got to tell him, Sean, please get away with earmuffs for the rest of your lifetime, earmuffs.
0: Just... Yeah, <laughs> and blindfolds. Oh, goodness. <laughs> but you know what? Like I said, though, that's, a, that's a building up to actually what he's doing today. Because it's almost like enough, <laughs> enough's enough. So now you know what I, I am going to be the whistleblower. I am going to be the one that's going to create the awareness and reveal the truth, and and things of that nature. It's like, I don't know. I think his spirit was a bit stubborn and <laughs> learning this lesson of revealing truths. You know so, but ahead? now he's he's doing it now though. I noticed that
1: um, one thing I resonated with Sean about is that he's very curious. He's got this, you know, insatiable appetite, curiosity. So I completely connected with that right away. And one of the things I was thinking about is that his father has created um, films that have changed humanity. I really do believe his father's films have, have changed human perception permanently and mm-hmm. have opened so many doors up. And he was always with his dad. I mean, he's has in most of his dad's films. And I'm wondering if Oliver... Was actually influenced or inspired by his son's energy to yes. open up or explore differently or take a different yes. approach. Um,
0: you got you, you. I'm going to stop you right there. Yes. Really? You, you yeah. You banged the nail on the head right there. All right. That's exactly what it is. Because the one thing I was going to say was you know how the similarities there you know for them you know wanting to create the awareness, being the truth revealer, the truth seekers, uh, the truth protectors. Um, even though Sean has come from a very different place than what his father has in terms of his actual spirit, the thing is he was born to Oliver and Oliver's wife for a very specific reason, because it's not only a supportive environment for Sean in being that star person and having those specific goals, but Oliver basically laid down the foundation for him. And the thing is they're feeding off of one of another, so Sean's given him that support as well. So it's an extremely supportive um, agreement, I'll say, between their two spirits.
1: So is this the first lifetime you can garner where they've collaborated together, or is this yes. is, okay? And have they been together, Have they known each other previous lifetimes, or is this the first lifetime where they're kind of um, working together?
0: Uh, no, I, this is. A, I believe that this is a first. Wow. Um, because, but I'm being told that it's mainly because Sean. Well, I'll say both, but uh, but Sean, though, I'm you know, being told that he had to gain all that wisdom, you know, the like I said, like that knack for being in the wrong place at the wrong time. <laughs> all the, he he needed to do he needed to do that. He needed to gain all that experience and that wisdom before he could ultimately, you know, go with someone like like Oliver in his spirit, so that he can carry out his ultimate goal as a, as a star being. So. so
1: there's one thing I wanted to bring your attention to that I noticed when I was talking to Sean some of the questions he was answering. I felt that um you know we look at an iceberg and you see the tip and you see the surface and then below it's like this big big iceberg. I always wonder if Sean, if the majority of his influence or the majority of his wisdom and um, push to seeking truth is below the surface it's, the, it's yeah. the hidden it's the hidden knowledge and wisdom, and I wonder if he's subtly influencing human consciousness. By mm-hmm. not really holding or revealing his true hands, I feel like he probably has. If you look at game of poker, he probably has a couple of aces, and he, he's only shown a pair of twos. And yeah, but getting,
0: you know what? You, know, I'll stop you right there. I don't mean to cut you off, but I, I have right. to say it before I lose it, right? Scatterbrain <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> um, me. Um, what's happening is like Sean has, and he actually said it himself somewhere in his interview. Where basically, you know, in my own words, I'll paraphrase them where it's you know you can't change everybody and you can't force things on people so basically just allow people to come to you when they're ready and that's kind of what he's he's doing like he's not going to show anybody anything unless they're interested like why waste his time right why waste his time and energy if someone you know is isn't really serious about learning who they are or who he is or what he believes and and so on so no he's he he's you're right he's not uh you know, showing everything, but at the same time, you know, there's that human curiosity. You want to see what's underneath just because you can't see it.
4: <laughs>
0: so, you know, that's the you know the the initial uh, magnetism I believe for some for some people. Um, and he kind of tends to reel them in that way. Of course, I don't mean maliciously, but you know what I mean. Um, yeah, but he yeah he, you're right he 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 is um, withholding a lot, but at the same time that's the best way to go anyways. You, you don't want to be jumping down people's throats.
1: <laughs> well, you, I don't know. You have to be very thin to do that too. Very thin, very small, and uh, incredible accuracy to do that.
0: Well, it, t- it would take a lot of strength, right? Yeah, and that's what he's got. But he, that's, you know, like I said, he is highly evolved. Spiritually speaking, so he he has that that wisdom and he has that strength and courage. It's the only thing that it's the only way that people will ultimately learn is on their own. You know, and he just, knows he knows that.
1: I was just thinking about it for one second. I can now the hidden hand kind of the, the hidden knowledge kind of comes into play because you know you think about all the people who are supposedly enlightened. They're all like fat with a bald head and they're all like sitting down meditating. And this guy is not that. He, he's like you know he's got the good hair. He's walking <laughs> around, so he is he's like the anti buddha looking guy
0: yeah <laughs> you can't judge a book by its cover right
1: uh, well yeah absolutely i agree with you miss mm-hmm. lisa casa the clairvoyant cowgirl and psychic empath I want to thank you so much for your great analysis mr sean stone to learn more about miss lisa casa and you can get a reading with miss lisa casa please go to our website at lisa casa.com thank you so much miss
0: casa oh thank you ryan
1: Okay, everyone, that concludes today's edition of the Outer Limits of Tooth Radio Show. Special thanks to Mr. Sean Stone for a revealing interview. Special thanks as always to our virtues, Miss Carrie O'Connor, Miss Lisa Casa, and Miss Casa Tellas. To learn more about the Outer Limits of Tooth Radio Show, please go to our website at outerlimitsradio.com. Till the next time we meet, my friends, wishing upon you an abundance of peace love and beers. Take good care and thank you so much for listening.